And as we continue, it allow the individual to make the choices, choices that are able to complete a holistic approach to the change that is necessary to improve one's overall health, one's overall quality of life. That integrates the fitness messaging with evidence-based practices, with the scientific principles that are necessary to ensure that improved health is not only a possibility, but is an attainable long-term goal for all, especially when the plans to achieve the goal, the goal of improved health becomes the most important of the goals where weight changes are secondary to those improvements. A frame shift in the approach for both the professional and the individual that for so long has been at odds with the general messaging that has come from the health and fitness world. A shift that leads to selecting exercises and selecting diets that meet the internal desired choice, an internal desired choice that exists on a spectrum, on a continuum of behaviors that allows for the predetermined goals to be reached through positively reinforced feedback that exists within utilization of one or multiple of the behaviors existing within the continuum of possible behaviors, where options are discussed openly through an open exchange of ideas, eliminating the sense of coercion, the sense that selection is out of the individual's control, allowing self-selection of healthy behaviors necessary for long-term gains and maintenance to be obtained from all of the options available and allows for the promoting of healthy behaviors that can effectively transfer from one situation to another, from one environment to another, regardless of the external cues that the individual might be facing, allowing for continuous opportunity for positive reinforcement necessary for the long-term success and the use of self-monitored and self-maintained behaviors. What we have to remember here is that any program can lead to improvements in health and weight loss. Yet, it's easy to see that mass market health programs and the current model for health behaviors continuously fail those attempting to lose weight and improve their overall health by exposing them to interventions that overly rely on antidotes and programs that ignore scientific principles that explain both the physiological and behavioral modifications necessary for long-term for long-term management. Ignore the contingencies necessary in goal setting to allow for goals to function as a means for establishing behavioral modifications. Fail to incorporate appropriate scientific principles to allow for periodization of both diet and exercise. If we wish to allow for changes in behavior to lead to weight loss and improvements of health, we must change the way we establish the treatments necessary to change behaviors. Allow the use of internal reinforcements to motivate and more importantly, eliminate the punishments that those attempting to lose weight might face based off the goals that we impose on them. If we want meaningful changes in lifestyle and health behaviors, it needs to occur through self-selection, self-selection for the changes in behavior and not completed under a misguided contention that mass-marketed programs are the one and only way to achieve improvements, along with using the educational training and expertise focusing on the teaching of how and why the selection of specific health behaviors by the professionals. 
This can cause the termination or continuation of programs through allowing self-management and self-selection of the appropriate health behaviors, thus eliminating the sense of coercion from interventions. Along with this, we have to remember that we are going to be battling an uphill battle. There are numbers of advertisements. There are numbers of antidotes that everybody will face on a daily basis through the internet, through their social media feed, within their conversations with family, friends, and close colleagues. What we have to do is we have to rely upon what do the scientific principles allow us to state is efficient and effective means by which individuals are able to maintain any type of changes in health status made through diet and exercise. One of the things that we keep harboring on within the historical context of diet and exercise or diet with exercise as relates to weight loss and improvement of health is the idea of a two-prong attack within the realm of exercise. That running, walking, doing what is sometimes referred to in the gym as cardio is going to be great for quote-unquote burning away fat to help lose weight, while weight training is only going to be a benefit if I want to gain weight and put on muscle. Well, here's the thing. Science tells us that we're able to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive, even though we historically have stated as such. Within the periodization programs, by focusing on specific training goals within the eight to 12 weeks, we're able to maximize benefit for both fat loss as well as muscle gain. Additionally, with restrictions in dietary intake, while increasing protein intake amongst the macronutrients, we're able to ensure that weight loss is going to be predominantly from fat and not from fat-free mass. That means that we're more apt to lose fat while retaining muscle and bone, which is very important for overall health. Along with this, one of the things that we must remember is that we have evidence from the research when attempting to develop the self-selected, self-monitored, self-maintained program to help others and help ourselves, to help others and help ourselves within the exercise regimens. The first thing we have to remember to do is to pick exercises that will stress the body and make the body need to adapt. We cannot do the same exact thing every time. There's a scientific principle that's at play here, and that is the said principle, specific adaptations to impose demands. This is my physiological rationale for how my body is going to respond to any type of disruption to my normal, stable environment, my optimal environment, my homeostasis. If we're looking at trying to make the routine as effective as possible, weight training is more effective than aerobics or endurance training if I want to keep muscle during the weight loss. I have to load the bones, I have to stress the muscles in order to make sure that the muscles and the bones will stay healthy 
during the weight loss. This is all about hormones and hormonal responses to the stress of exercise. Within this, I want to train in what's referred to as a hypertrophy zone. That means I want to train somewhere between 70 and 80% of my maximum, utilizing somewhere between 24 and 40 total repetitions, broken up into three to four sets, utilizing somewhere between 60 and 90 seconds of rest in between each set, where those values will modulate based off of my level of quote-unquote energy for the day. How do I feel about myself within my training? If I'm going to alter my diet, I want to make sure that I'm changing my macronutrients, not focused on my calories, or I want to elevate my protein intake so that I'm consuming around two grams per kilogram of body mass for, the, for my protein while reducing my carbohydrate, in particular, my fructose load within my carbohydrates of my diet. And we don't want to make changes on diet strictly based off of calories. We've talked about this previously. I've written about this in the Substack. We've done a couple papers on it. One paper hopefully will be coming out soon that shows the fallacy of utilizing the caloric balance while attempting to lose weight. We want to make sure that we are setting goals and developing training regimens that are meant to meet those goals. We set goals and develop training to meet the goals. These goals and these training regimens need to be based off of when do I see the greatest level of effectiveness for my training? I want to pick a form of exercise that is going to be preferred for the long term. I want to make sure that what I'm picking for exercise is what I'm willing to do because I want to do it, not because I'm being forced to do it. The reason for those last two points, setting goals and developing the training regimen to meet those goals and making sure I'm picking exercises that I want to do, not what I'm being forced to do, is because of the time frame by which we have to train. Remember, it's going to take 8 to 12 weeks for us to see results across everybody. Some people may respond sooner, some people may respond later. But within the normal population, about 8 weeks. At about 12 weeks, we stop seeing changes. We start seeing plateaus where we won't see any more change taking place, which means that I want to make sure my goals are set out to be somewhere in a two-week, four-week, eight-week, 12-week arrangement where my training is set up so that I'm going to be changing up my training at that eight to 12-week window based off of what my goal happened to be. We did a really uh, nice study looking at some people doing some long-term training and some long-term dietary interventions for people who were yo-yoers. And what we found out is that by periodizing the exercise so that we were working in that eight to 12 week window and constantly changing what we were doing based off of the eight to 12 weeks, not only did they stop yo-yoing, but they became lifelong exercisers. Study concluded in about seven years ago. And last follow-up, they're still doing the exercise. 
we don't have to run. We don't have to do aerobic classes to get our quote unquote cardio in. We can see cardiovascular benefits and cardiovascular adaptations from doing anything in the gym. It doesn't have to be the quote unquote cardio stuff. Lifting weights, doing bodyweight stuff, playing sports, all provide cardiovascular benefit. It provides cardiovascular benefit based off of the anatomy and physiology of the cardiovascular system. And the fact that the heart and the blood vessels are going to change their function based off of fluid dynamics. The fluid dynamics of the blood needing to move around the body based off of the needs. And here's the weird thing. Regardless of what people say, it's not about oxygen needs. We want to make sure that we don't fall for the fallacies of needing to eat specific ways, needing to eat quote-unquote superfoods, which is nothing more than a marketing ploy, or needing to take dietary supplements. We showed in a uh, meta-analytical systematic review that doing diet and exercise was actually more effective than adding any of the quote-unquote fat burners into the regimen of diet and exercise. There's also a whole host of adverse events that have been associated with a number of the dietary supplements that we have to be careful of, particularly for people who are highly sedentary, overfat, or overweight due to inflammation and metabolic disease issues that they face as the root cause for them doing the diet and exercise regimens. Remember, if we want to get the most out of the diet plan, most out of the exercise regimen, if we want to get the most out of the diet plan, the most out of the exercise regimen, it has to be something that I want to do, not something that someone is telling me to do. If I'm willing to do it, I'm more apt to do it. And if I'm more apt to do it, I'm more likely to do it for the long term. The longer I'm able to do things and the more I'm willing to change what I'm doing based off of duration or intensity of the activity, of the exercise, the more likely I am to see continuous adaptations and maintenance of any gains that have been made from my change in diet or my change in exercise. What we have to do when we look at diet and exercise in terms of choices for preventative measures in healthcare is that we have to approach this in the same manner that we approach things like stopping smoking, stopping drinking, or any other behavioral modification that we look at in terms of healthcare, which means what we're trying to do is we're trying to change one behavior for another. We're trying to exchange one behavior for another. What we're trying to do is we're trying to swap out the sedentary behavior for the active behavior, the non-exercising behavior for the exercising behavior, which means we have to somehow get to the root cause for aversions to the activity. We have to set up an environment that is conducive 
Two, self-selection or exercise self-selection for activity. We cannot show our biases in promotion of distinct exercises. We cannot show our biases in selection for distinct diets. We have to allow the person who wants to make the changes, even if it's us, to make the changes based off of their preference. It's the preference for the individual that will determine if we're going to follow a self-selected behavior and eliminate the coercion in the choices for health as relates to diet and exercise in the same manner that we see as relates to any of the other lifestyle intervention and lifestyle behavior modifications.